A reading from Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift on or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guys, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar? Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The word of the Lord. Well, my name is Nathan Hyatt, and uh, I'm one of the assistant pastors at West Kirk Presbyterian Church in uh, Des Moines, or Ur- Urbandale more properly. Uh, and so it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, this day. My, my wife Jessica and our daughter Winnie uh, are here as well, um, so we'd love to, to meet you at some point. Um, uh, I'm grateful to be here to, to open God's Word together. And uh, uh, our passage, Matthew 23, which you've just heard read, um, so, so let us, let us pray uh, as we dive into God's word uh, and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive it this, this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this day uh, to humbly submit ourselves uh, to sit underneath your word. Father, your word is, is true and authoritative and good in our lives, and so we pray um, that you would, by the work of your spirit, conform us to it. Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts to hear what you have to speak to us today, that you would um, convict us of our own hypocrisy and self-righteousness, that you would convict us of the places in which we are being hardened by our own sin, that you would soften our hearts to, to repent, to turn again to Christ, to come under his wing of protection. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, our text here in Matthew chapter 23 comes on the heels of of Jesus' triumphal entry in uh, Matthew chapter 21 and his engagement with the religious leaders as they asked him questions and in their questions tried to trap him in his words. In chapter 23, we actually come to the end of Jesus' public teaching ministry in the book of Matthew as the chapters that follow uh, record more intimate teachings of Jesus with his disciples. And in chapter 4, the chapter begins by telling us that Jesus is leaving the temple. So the the temple is actually the venue for Jesus' words here in chapter 23. Now having entertained questions from the various groups of religious leaders, Jesus now focuses his attention on the the crowds and his disciples. He, He continues to speak about the scribes and the Pharisees, but... The fact that his condemnation of them, of the scribes and the Pharisees, the fact that it's addressed to the crowds and the disciples, helps us to understand what we are to do with this teaching of Jesus. Jesus' teaching in this chapter roughly breaks up into three sections, and so that's how we'll consider it this morning. In verses 1 through 12, Jesus' words address the behavior of the Pharisees. In verses 13 through 33, Jesus issues seven woes against the Pharisees to confront their hypocrisy. And in verses 34 through 39, Jesus pronounces judgment on Jerusalem. 
in all these condemnations of the life and teachings of the Pharisee, there is a, there is a word of warning and there is a message of hope for the crowds, the disciples, and for us this morning. Jesus' first words in this passage uh, to, about the scribes and Pharisees in verse 2 is that they, they sit on Moses' seat. In essence, Jesus is recognizing the, the legitimate office that they hold to be teachers and religious leaders of God's people. They are to be those who follow after the example of Moses, who prophesied and taught faithfully the word of God to his people. These scribes and Pharisees were then responsible to, to know God's word, that they might teach it faithfully and lead God's people in the truth. And in turn, the people to whom Jesus is speaking would have looked to the scribes and Pharisees for religious instruction. As those who sit on Moses' seat, they would have expected to hear God's word faithfully proclaimed to them so that if they followed the example of these leaders, they would be sure to follow the Lord. Well, it is for this reason that Jesus directs his words about the scribes and Pharisees to the crowds and disciples. No doubt the Pharisees would have been listening to and also heard these words, but his main concern is for those who would have been listening and f- listening to the t- teaching and instruction of the t- Pharisees and following after them. Recognizing the, the importance of the office of Moses' seat, Jesus instructs his audience to, to obey what the Pharisees and scribes teach. Knowing what we do about the Pharisees and, and, and what Jesus will say later in this chapter, this, this instruction actually might strike us as a bit odd. But Jesus is saying that in their role as teachers of God's people, they ought to be obeyed insofar as they teach God's word and not their own opinions or doctrines. But as Jesus continues, his, his condemnation begins. While the people are to obey what the scribes and Pharisees say, they are not to follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They are the epitome of the man who says to his son, do as I say, not as I do. Except, they are not even self-conscious enough to realize this. As an example, Jesus says that the scribes and Pharisees tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and they place them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling even to lift a finger for these burdens. They are pleased to teach hard things to others, but are happy to ignore these own instructions in their own lives. And this was how they applied the law to the people. Strict adherence was required of the people, while they did not bother to abide by the same strictness in their own lives and allowed themselves to do as they pleased. The effect of this kind of hypocrisy is that it produces a gracelessness Because it is only when we see our own sin, our own weakness, our own shortcomings, that we know our own need for mercy and grace and are then prone and willing to offer it to others. By allowing themselves a pass on the strict burdens they placed on others, they showed no mercy and they showed no grace on those who were being crushed 
by these demands. The Pharisees were guilty of of having a discontinuity between their doctrine and their practice. Preach one thing, practice another thing. This hypocrisy is the focus of the woes in the next section entirely. But beyond that, the things that the Pharisees actually did do, they did in order to be seen by others. Rather than seeking to please the Lord, to follow the Lord and obey His commands for His own glory, they do not follow Jesus' own commands in in Matthew 6, His own teaching in Matthew 6, to be careful not to practice your righteousness before others to be seen by them. They did exactly the opposite. They they augmented their, their religious dress beyond what was commanded, not for any religious purposes, but merely for show. Their focus was, was earthly and external. I'm not sure if we have a, a direct parallel for this in, in our own context, but I think this would be along the lines of uh, carrying around a, a pristine, super-sized Bible with you to church uh, in order to be seen by others, to be seen as, wow, they must be very spiritual because look how big their Bible is and how perfect it is. Well, but the reality is then you'd go back home and put it back in the box and leave it on the shelf until the following Sunday. That's doing you no good. It's all for show. Furthermore, the Pharisees and scribes, they loved the praise of men. They, they craved the places of honor in their society. And they reveled in being recognized by people in public places for their, their status, their position. For those listening to Jesus' words, this, this would not have been uh, news, really, of any sort. They would have recognized this behavior in the Pharisees, and having seen the deeds that they did in public, they might actually have assumed that they were deserving of such praise and such honor. And yet Jesus is highlighting these things to show just how out of line they are with what is expected of God's people, and particularly God's leaders In verses 8-10, through Jesus offers a correction to the Pharisees' lives, essentially telling us that that no one is entitled to the place of honor to receive the praise that belongs to God alone. He is our rabbi whose words and leadership never fail us. He is our perfect father whose merciful and tender care for us is, is kind and loving. He is our teacher whose instruction is perfectly consistent with his life. Far from seeking for honor which does not belong to us, the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is characterized by service which comes from the example of our own Savior. The the Pharisees were condemned for seeking their own honor and in direct contrast, the disciples were instructed to serve one another. For this is the most honorable position of all. The, the path to exaltation leads us through humiliation. This reality is most profoundly displayed for us in the life of Jesus, our Messiah, who, sitting in the seat of Moses, leads us in perfect instruction and perfect obedience. Unlike the Pharisees, the teaching and practice of Jesus is a unity 
which cannot be separated. Through his humiliation, he has now been exalted to the right hand of God the Father on high. Jesus' message to the crowds served not only to condemn the scribes and Pharisees, but to free their consciences to obey the Lord above the Pharisees. The Lord alone is God of our, con- of our consciences. Where once they had been captivated by the Pharisees' teaching and their righteousness, now Jesus has shown that, that their teaching and their righteousness is actually wanting. God alone is Lord of our consciences, and we cannot be compelled to follow the example of anyone who would lead us into sin and away from Him. Moving now into the second section, verses 13 through 33, we begin to see the the woes that Jesus pronounces against the scribes and Pharisees. And in verse 13, uh, we're introduced to the first of these. The word woe is is an interjectory word, an interjection which communicates displeasure, uh, denunciation, or even anguish. Jesus issues these woes in true prophetic form against the leaders of God's people who have failed in their calling. Jesus' displeasure arises from the failure of these shepherds to care for their sheep. His denunciation is connected to their their failure to serve God from their hearts, from hearts that love Him. And His anguish is felt in the unrepentance with which these leaders have lived in exalted status before the people. Now, before we get into these specifics of these woes, I want to read a quote by Gerhardus Voss, a theologian, that I believe sets us up to understand the failure of these religious leaders and the warning that is issued to those hearing Jesus' words and to us as well. So, Gerhardus Voss says this, The characteristic faults of the Jewish ethics were formalism, casuistry, an inclination to emphasize the prohibition rather than the commandment, and worst of all, self-righteousness and hypocrisy. These faults proceeded from a twofold source. On the one hand, Judaism had virtually become a worship of the law as such. The dead letter of the law had taken place of the living God. The majesty and authority of the holy nature and perfect will of God were no longer felt in the commandments. On the other hand, the Jewish law observance was self-centered because it was chiefly intended to be the instrument for securing the blessedness of the coming age. Voss says that their error is is twofold. On, On the one hand, they have separated the law from the lawgiver. And their motive for obedience had become self-centered, self-serving. And it will help us to keep these in mind as we look at these seven woes. Now the first of the six, uh, the first six of the, the woes can be grouped together in pairs. So we'll look at them at two, 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 and then finally the, the, the final woe that serves as a sort of climax. And in each of these woes, Jesus makes an accusation against the scribes and Pharisees, and then he gives an explanation to, to give substance to his words. So the first two woes are found in verses 13 and 15, and they focus 
on two related aspects of the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. First, while it should be the, the job of the teachers of Israel to throw open the kingdom of heaven to all who would come in, they are condemned because they have closed its gates in the faces of those who would go in. Lest we see this picture incorrectly, observe that this is not a picture that that might be so common in many of your own homes of uh, a sibling running from outside inside and once inside slamming the door in the face of their closely trailing sibling in order to keep them out. That's not the picture that we have here. The picture Jesus describes shows us that the scribes and Pharisees in closing the kingdom of heaven in the face of those who would come in actually find that they are on the outside themselves. They have done this in preventing the people from hearing or listening to the warnings of the prophets in Scripture. Further, they have ignored and disparaged the voice of God's prophet, John the Baptist, And most egregiously, as will become clear in the following chapters of Matthew, they have sought to stamp out the message of the eternal Word of God who would have gathered them in. In their own rejection of the Messiah, they have found themselves outside the kingdom. And in their hypocrisy, they will seek to ensure that others join them. The second woe is is similar, related in content. Since the scribes and Pharisees were not in the kingdom themselves, their own efforts to make converts could only produce more Pharisees. Jesus says that the converts that they make are in reality more damned after converting. So far from welcoming converts into the kingdom of God to know His love, to experience His grace, Jesus condemns them for leading people even further from the kingdom than they were at first. The scribes and Pharisees are hypocrites because their, their work is self-centered. Rather than submitting themselves to the, to the teaching of God's prophets, they have elevated themselves far above in their own earthly honor. Rather than making proselytes of heaven, they have become sectarian and sought simply to increase their own number. They are void of all good fruit. The third and fourth woes uh, in verses 16 through 24 address their hypocrisy as displayed in their spiritual blindness. In verses 16 through 20, Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees blind guides, blind fools, and blind men. I think his point is fairly clear. In this third woe, The focus is on their blindness with regard to their teaching about vows and even their own worship. The teaching in this third woe exposes their low view of vows that the Pharisees and scribes taught. Apparently, they were teaching that to swear by some things would bind you to your vow, and to swear by other things would uh, actually make your vow meaningless. But this is a flagrant disregard for what we hold to be in line with God's Word in the promotion of the truth, the integrity that is to come along with our own words, that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. And not only 
Were they teaching that some vows could be cast aside because of a a technicality? But they completely misunderstood the significance of their own worship. They regarded the gold of the temple and the sacrifice to be placed on the altar as greater than the temple and the altar themselves. But Jesus shows us that they have it all backwards. It is the temple because it is a symbol of God's dwelling place that makes things holy. It is the altar that designates a sacrifice as holy because it has been set apart for a holy use. Aside from all of this, if it was necessary to swear an oath, God's people had been instructed not to swear by the name of any other God or any other created thing, but only by the name of the Lord. So to swear by any other name was to be in violation of the third commandment, to take the Lord's name in vain. Indeed, the Pharisees were blind guides leading God's people to violate His commandments. The fourth woe in verses 23 and 24 illustrates their hypocrisy and blindness in their failure to understand and follow what is at the heart of God's law. They have been meticulous in giving the commanded 10% of everything they had, even down to the smallest of herbs. They had been faithful in that. Yet they have neglected the, the weightier matters. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, to designate some matters of the law as weightier is not to designate others as unimportant or optional. For Jesus says that they were, to, they were right to give their tithes. However, they were not to neglect the heart of God's law for those things which are lighter. Um, we might illustrate this. I was thinking about an illustration of this. And we might illustrate this to some degree by evaluating the way we, we may make and execute to-do lists. I don't know if you're list makers like I am, but I was laughing the other day because I have, who knows, an innumerable amount of sticky notes on my desk. And if I look through them, many of them are repetitions of one another. And so... I need to consolidate. Um, but if you make lists, you know that as you write things down, there's, there's some sort of priority to them. Some, some of us may, for the sake of, of uh, the satisfaction of completing lists, put things down like wake up. It's, it's, it's a nice one. You start your day off with something crossed off, but you recognize that there is a, there is a priority to the list. You, you may say that some items are, are weightier than others, meaning... They may take more effort. They may take more time or more concentration than, than other items. And sometimes I find that, that after a day, after looking at my to-do list that I made for the day, I've crossed a good deal off of the list, only to find that I've left all the weightier matters unchecked, preferring to do those things which require less from me. Jesus is teaching that it is not a matter of either or in the cases of weightier and lighter matters, but of doing it all. The Pharisees were accomplishing the smaller parts, the, the lighter parts of the law while neglecting the weightier. They were focused to strain out the gnat while being perfectly happy to consume a camel. It's an absurd picture, but it, it paints the picture for us. The Pharisees are blind and hypocritical because their obedience was to the dead letter of the law. 
the outward form of the law. Divorced from the nature and the character of the God who has given the law, the law had lost its weight and they felt free to be selective in their adherence and to interpret it according to their own interests and preferences. The fifth and sixth woes in verses 25 through 28 address the hypocrisy that arises from a misplaced emphasis on external conformity at the expense of heart-level transformation. In the fifth woe, Jesus addresses their hypocrisy and blindness with the, the image of washing dishes, one that we're all familiar with in some way, shape, or form. The Pharisees are intently focused on washing the outside of the cup and plate Ignoring the inside. And we've all washed dishes and we know how foolish this is. Not many of us would be quick to drink from a glass that is pristine on the outside, but filthy on the inside. While externally pristine, the Pharisees are said to be full of greed and self-indulgence. They are indeed actually filthy. Jesus' correction shows us the heart of their error. If only they had focused on the inside, if only they had focused on the filthiness of their hearts, then the outside would have followed suit. When it comes to spiritual cleanliness, it works from the inside out. Righteousness must be a a fruit that grows out of a regenerate heart and converted life. This point is made even more explicit in the sixth woe in which the Pharisees are compared to tombs. Their hypocrisy is showcased in that they they make efforts to beautify and adorn these tombs all while they are still full of what tombs contain. Death. Rot. Decay. Efforts to adorn the outside of a tomb may produce a genuine positive effect for one who is, who is looking at the tomb. But nothing happens to what's inside that tomb. It does nothing to affect what is inside the tomb. The Pharisees are, are beautiful tombs that contain hypocrisy and lawlessness. Well, the seventh and final woe in verses 29 through 33 takes aim at the, the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. This woe serves as a a climax in this series of seven as the Pharisees seek to to distance themselves from the wicked acts of their their forefathers who rejected God's prophets, who murdered his spokesmen. They say, well, if we would have lived back then, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. Maybe you can relate to this. I know growing up reading the Old Testament, saying... Man, if I would have seen what they saw, no way would I have done what they did. No way would I have grumbled in the wilderness. The Red Sea, come on. Their words are are dripping with misguided self-righteousness. Jesus basically tells them to finish what their fathers have started, which ultimately they will do in their rejection of the Lord's Messiah Jesus himself. The spiritual blindness, hypocritical self-interest, and external adherence to the dead letter of the law has caused the scribes and Pharisees to act in the same way as their forefathers 
in rejecting God's spokesman, they will be guilty of shedding the blood of Christ. Now, all of these woes serve not only to condemn the Pharisees, but also to warn those to whom Jesus is speaking. This does not leave the crowds and the disciples pointing their fingers and saying, yeah, you guys. No, the woes are warnings. They serve as warnings to Jesus' immediate audience, and they serve as warnings to us here today. For who among us has not been guilty of hypocrisy and self-righteousness? Who among us has not put a stumbling block in someone's path because of our own failure to live as we preach? Who among us has not taken the Lord's name in vain by our rash vows and our failure to keep our word? Who among us has not given great care to keeping the the lighter parts of God's law while ignoring our failures in the weightier matters? Who among us has not been content with external change when what we really need is a renovation of our hearts? Who among us has not sought to present ourselves as righteous before others while harboring wickedness in our own hearts? Who among us has not sought to justify ourselves before others and before the Lord? Brothers and sisters, Jesus' words to us this morning serve as warnings to us that we might not receive them as woes. They serve as warnings so that we might not be baptized Presbyterians on the outside with hearts of Pharisees on the inside. As we come to a close in our passage, let us read verses 34 through, through 39 as we see the Lord's judgment on the scribes and on Jerusalem. Verse 34, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In this final section, Jesus proclaims judgment on the Pharisees for their rejection of God's messengers, which ultimately amounts to a rejection of the Lord Himself. Without repentance, the Pharisees will be guilty of the blood of all the prophets, including the blood of Jesus Christ. And this reality causes Jesus to cry a lament for the city of Jerusalem that has been faithless as they have rejected Him. He expresses His compassion and His anguish for the city, saying that He would have gathered them together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but they were not willing. 
The judgment pronounced on the scribes and Pharisees along with Jerusalem is the judgment that we deserve for our own hypocrisy and self-righteousness, for our own failure to keep the law of God. We have rejected God's Word whenever we disobey, whether wittingly or unwittingly. And yet it is the guilt of our hypocrisy and our self-righteousness that Christ has come to take upon Himself. Part of His humiliation was His sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross at Calvary. Beloved of God, hear the Word. Hear the voice of Jesus calling to you this morning. Do not resist His call. Do not be unwilling to come to Him. But come unto Him in faith and repentance. Confess your hypocrisy. Forsake your self-righteousness. Let us heed His warning, lest we be hardened and blinded by our sin. Find shelter under His protective wings. People of God, let our hearts be soft and tender to the convicting work of the Spirit that we would rightly see God's law as an expression of His love for us. And that we would see our own obedience for what it is a fruit of God's grace in our lives and a humble offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. Jesus concludes His discourse by telling His audience that they will not see Him again until they say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And as He he leaves the temple, it becomes desolate for the presence of the Lord is departing. When He comes again, His people will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they will be presented to him as a bride who has been made perfect for this wedding day. Revelation 21 tells us that this bride is a city called New Jerusalem. The residents of this city are those who have ears to hear the warnings that Jesus gives in this passage. And they are those who have received a righteousness that is not their own and a perfect obedience, free from hypocrisy. People of God, let us, let us hear the voice of the Lord Jesus this morning calling us to Himself. Let us not be unwilling to come, but let us bow our knee before Him in humble repentance and faith. Let's pray. Our gracious God, You have given us so much. You have given us this, this word of, this difficult word of, of ju- judgment, of of condemnation of the scribes and Pharisees. And and you've given it to us not that we would hold ourselves up as better than them or to uh, compare ourselves to them, but to rather identify with them and see ourselves as capable of the same sinful errors that they made. Father, preserve us from those things. Make us us willing by your Spirit to come to Christ to, to see our sin as you see it, that we would submit ourselves to you in humble repentance. Father, grant us repentance and faith each day. Help us turn again and again from our sin and to look to Christ, who calls us to himself into the protection of his wings. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.